failure and fatigue in ministry on this edition of Truth and Love. I'm Dale Johnson, and you're listening to Truth and Love, a podcast of the Association of Certified Biblical Counselors, where we seek to provide biblical solutions to the problems that people face. Well, this is one of those moments that I am thrilled to have with us, Randy Patton. For so many of you who are listeners, members in ACBC, Randy Patton is no stranger to you. His wife's name is Cindy. They've faithfully been married for 51 years, if I remember correctly. And I'm always blessed to be around this brother. He's such an encouragement to me. Currently, he serves as the president of Team Focus Ministries, which at some point, Randy, I want to sit down with you and, and chat a little bit more about that. But he's the longtime executive director of NANC, as it were, during those days for 16 years, served in various capacities for 18 years, the Ministry of now ACBC. And I'm so grateful for Randy and his service, particularly during those years of growth in the biblical counseling movement and his stewardship of that leadership during that time. And listen, today we're going to talk about a difficult subject, this idea of failure and fatigue in the ministry. And this is a reality for any of you who've served any length of time in in ministry, vocationally or otherwise. You know that this is a reality that is a struggle. Randy, I can't think of a better person to to have this discussion with, one who understands the the human heart and the dispositions of the heart, one who has experience in pastoral ministry for years and years. And you've been through a lot of ups and downs in, in ministry as well. And he's going to speak very specifically, I know, today about this issue. And listen, recently we had Randy involved with us at a pastoral retreat, our first ever ACBC pastor's retreat where pastors and their wives came together with us at Maranatha Bible Camp in Norton Shores, Michigan. And what a wonderful time. Randy had the opportunity to to provide some messages to these pastors and their wives. And I wanted to capture some of the thoughts that, that he gave to them. I thought it was important enough not just to keep it for that audience. And so, Randy, um, I'm so grateful that you're here. I'm looking forward to this conversation, and I know that there are going to be people who are listening who are going to be ministered to as well. So thank you, brother, for taking the time and, and, and sharing some thoughts with us today. Thank you, Dale. I commend you and ACBC for the excellent uh, conference that you hosted for pastors and wives. Participating in that was a real highlight for me, and it certainly demonstrated the need for an organization like ACBC to be, be providing loving care and counsel to those that are on the front line of, of vocational pastoral ministry. Well, man, I really appreciate that. And I, I have to say, the, these last several years, you know, ministry is hard. I ministry mean, is really, really difficult. And now we add to it the issue of, of a pandemic. And it's hard to make anyone happy, no matter how sensitive you are to different things. And, you know, you send emails out trying to inform the congregation of, of how you as elders are deciding about one thing or another. And you know, before you hit the send button, that at least 50% of the people are going to be upset in some way and not happy. And it just makes it difficult. And listen, I, one of the things that makes you uniquely I think qualified, not just your experience in pastoral ministry, but the types of experiences you have, both good things and bad things. I want you to share a little bit about maybe some of your personal testimony as it relates to ministry and, you know, even some of those things that that maybe we don't like to talk about a lot, some of the some of the difficult seasons of ministry that you've experienced as well. I think that'll be helpful for people to relate to where where you are and the things that you've walked through. 
Yeah, I uh, am wonderfully blessed uh, growing up in a Christian home and trusted Christ as my Savior at age 10. And by age 14, God had worked in my heart and created me, uh, created within me a desire to serve in vocational ministry. After high school, attended Cedarville College, Cedarville University, where my love for the Lord was increased and desire for vocational ministry. And then went to seminary after Cindy and I were married and had wonderful mentorship preparing me for the pastorate. My first congregation was had averaged 38 in Sunday school two months before I got there. And like many churches, it had once been much larger, but had had problems that were not handled biblically. And of course, that led to more problems, which were not handled biblically in that case. The church ultimately split, dwindled, and they sought the care of a wise uh, seasoned pastor in the area. And through his contacts, I was one of the men who went to preach, later was called to be the pastor. And for me, beginning to pastor a congregation that had averaged 38 in Sunday school well, two months before I got there was an th absolute thrill. I'm getting paid to study the Bible and to preach to people. And this is what I've been wanting to do since I was 14 years old. And it was just a happy time. And God blessed our efforts and through hard work and just the obvious blessing of the Lord and the faithfulness of the congregation, things began happening. We began seeing people get saved and baptized, added to the local congregation, and problems were getting resolved. And it was two years into that young pastorate that I saw my need to get training in biblical counseling. That was life-changing. And as I began implementing efforts to help people through counseling, that aided the, the church growing. And we had a wonderful season for five or six years where it just seemed like it was blessing on top of blessing, brand new building, and um, so many good things happened. But as a result of the growth in the church numerically and my failure to adjust my leadership style, I found myself trying to pastor a congregation of 160 or so the way I'd started pastoring 38, and it can't be done, but I tried. And the result was physical exhaustion, and I just mentally plateaued. I began neglecting my own personal study in the Word the way I should. I was neglecting time with Cindy, wasn't giving proper time to sermon prep. And the result of that was that when, when I, as the leader of the church, plateaued mentally, it wasn't very long till the church plateaued. And I've seen that in other ministries as well. When the leader plateaus, it's only a matter of time until the organization plateaus in some ways. And then some of my failures in whipping the saints to think and act biblically began manifesting themselves. And it led to ultimately very serious charges being brought against me which later at a church council with three pastors who came in to advise us, we were charges were told, said that I, I was not a heretic. I was not preaching a social gospel. Well, that was some of the charges. But that was the very low point in my, lowest point in my own life in my ministry. But God used that in a wonderful way to help me grow in areas I would not have grown had Everything kept moving in the positive direction. Now, Randy, as I hear you talk about that, it's easy for guys 
like me who are in the thick of ministry and sometimes the busyness of life and raising children. And, you know, it's easy for me to say, yeah, we struggle with things like that. But somebody like Randy Patton, you know, and now as you've grown in wisdom and, and you're able to share some of these things, you know, to hear that you've walked through difficulties like that. I think that's encouraging on a lot of different levels, but you can speak authoritatively in, in so many ways based on some of that experience that you've had. It's important, I think, even to hear you say that you've walked through some of that and that the Lord taught you so much through that. That's encouraging to guys who are listening even now who find themselves in the middle of these types of difficult situations where things are not going as planned in the church, Not certainly not the way you envisioned things in seminary or when you first arrived on the campus and you're excited about leading and, and now you find yourself in, in difficulty. And it could be for a number of reasons, things that you know were in your control uh, relative to study and so on and, and things that may not be in your control. And yet the Lord gives wisdom. I want you to talk a little bit about, you know, obviously you're not at a place where you're, you're struggling in ministry at this particular moment. So at some point the Lord brought you out of that. Talk about the ways in which the, uh, and the things the Lord used to, he, he utilized that pain as a tool in your life to really grow you in the way you thought about ministry and how you saw the scripture and your, your role as a pastor then. Yeah. Well, during this very, very hard season, just out of utter desperation to get answers for myself. I began spending extended periods of time in extended reading of the scriptures. And I would take long walks at times in the woods with my Bible and uh, my journal. And it was one day sitting under a big old oak tree reading that God used uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 9, and 10 to minister to me. And that has since become my what I call my life verses. It says, Wherefore also we make it our ambition whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body, according to what he's done, whether good or bad. And one of the issues I had to wrestle with and really come to a settlement with is, who am I going to live my life to please? Because while there were some people that were pleased with me, Throughout my pastoral ministry, there seemed like there was others, and at this particular point in time, there were many who were not pleased with me. And that verse just really challenged me that uh, when the scripture says, whether in the body or absent, it means alive or dead. I mean, that covers all the bases. The goal was to please him. And that was a major turning point for me where I just said, look to the Lord, I'm going to seek to please you, whether that leads to me being fired as the pastor or not, I'm just going to live and I'm going to preach and teach the Bible the way I understand it and just have to let the chips will. And, I'm, and for me, it was a major step forward in living by faith. I'm going to live to please God. And later in other ministries, I saw, had the opportunity to talk with other pastors about that because many pastors face that same issue when it comes to sticky things like practicing church discipline. I mean, the Bible's pretty clear on that. And for many pastors, that is becomes a test of faith for them. Am I am I really focused on pleasing Christ? Or am I going to find some way to rationalize not obeying the Bible here? So that was a major event for me. And through this uh, time, my my simple way of thinking was I I knew I was failing in many areas. I knew I needed to change. I wasn't sure what all those changes would be, but I thought. Jesus Christ was the greatest leader who ever lived. Even a lot, lot many non-believers will say that. 
So I spent extended periods of time studying the Gospels, reading them very carefully to notice not what did Christ teach so much as how did he relate to people. And what I learned from that revolutionized my ministry. And uh, one of my joys at the pastor's conference was teaching in the second session what I learned from that period about how did Christ do ministry. It's interesting, since that very, very dark period in uh, my life and ministry and our ministry together, Cindy and me, God has allowed us to have a ministry to many other pastors and wives based on what we had learned during that time period. So that's been very, very gratifying. In many ways, my 12 years in the pastorate could be marked by uh, two different time periods. It'd be the first uh, six, seven years, and then the last five, five and a half years. And our church ended up with a major split, and everything was what I called as blown up into the air. And as a result of that, I was able to make significant changes in my thinking and in my conduct and my approach to pastoring and come down and stay in the same place. A lot of pastors, when the church blows up, they got to leave and go start over somewhere else. Well, I was able to stay in the same place in part because our church had been tore up so much that in many ways it was a different church. But I was able to stay and implement things I had learned during this hard time of seeking the Lord and studying the scriptures. And it was amazing, five years after our very painful public church split, the pastors in our state fellowship churches asked me to leave what had become, once again, a very happy pastorate. They asked me to leave that to become the the leader of our state fellowship of churches and basically to function as a pastor to pastors and a consultant to churches. And even time, every time I mention, I'm just marvel at the grace of God because during this dark period I've been referring to, I mean, there was nobody asking Randy Patton about <laughs> anything. Uh, nobody was calling me about anything, asking for advice. And then to think that five years later, I'd be asked to serve as a pastor and a consultant to other pastors and churches. I think that demonstrates to all of us that we serve the, the God of the second chance. God who grows us and through our humbling of ourselves, his humbling us, he opens up wider spheres of ministry than we ever anticipated. And he opens up opportunities for ministry that uh, we weren't prepared for previously. I think that's a pretty significant part of your story, right? Is And is that the Lord uses, he doesn't waste any of that. He uses to, to grow you in ways that you've been able to pour out to others for, for a long time, for many, many years. Talk about some of the, the most significant things. You, you mentioned 2 Corinthians 5. You've also talked a little bit about 2 Corinthians 1, that comfort others in the way in which we've been comforted through some of those difficulties. Talk about some of the ways that your heart and mind changed, even as a pastor, as a shepherd toward your people, and how the Lord used some of that to, to change your mind and to change the way you did ministry. Well, as I studied the life of Christ, I was impacted that, that Christ had what I would think of as three levels of ministry. He had a multitude ministry that we know about, like the Sermon on the Mount, one of the more famous. I mean, it's his public preaching. preaching. But Christ also had a ministry to the 12. Out of the, the thousands that followed him at one point, he chose 12, and he spent very special time with them. 
But out of the 12, he chose three. And those three became, in many ways, the foundation of the New Testament church or the key leaders of it. And as I studied the Gospels, I was really impacted that Christ dealt with the multitude differently than he did the 12. And Christ dealt with the three different than he did the 12. And as I studied that, I saw and discerned for me what that meant. And so I purposed that I was going to start trying to be like Jesus in what I called my multitude ministry. And for me, my multitude ministry was the public services of our church. And that led to me making some significant changes in how I approached the public services of the church. By this time, I'd done enough counseling that I had realized that people do not change in generalities. They change in specifics. And you can't change everything at the same time. So I realized, okay, at that point in time, our church had four public services a week. We had Sunday school and then the morning worship service, a Sunday night service, and a Wednesday night prayer meeting. And I typically would minister the word at each of those. But I realized I couldn't change everything. So I focused on just our public, excuse me, our Sunday morning worship service where we had the largest attendance. And typically we put our best foot forward, best musicians and so forth. I began trying to implement what I'd seen Christ, what I'd observed Christ doing. And then with the 12, what struck me was that with the 12, Christ was ex- spent most of his time explaining what he had taught by parables. That When I grew up as a child, I remember ten- attending a class my pastor had where he taught us that parables were stories that Christ told to illustrate the truth. Well, later I came to think, you know, I'd read the parables, I think, that doesn't illustrate it for me. It, it's confusing. And I think that was Christ's intention. The parables were designed to make people think, what is he talking about? And Scripture says, and privately, Christ explained things to the disciples. And so I began implementing a particular strategy with my groups. My 12 ministry was groups like my deacons or like our Word of Life teen club leaders or other significant groups of people in our church. And then I developed from his way he ministered with the three, I developed a strategy. And I look back and some of my my most happy, fruitful years of ministry were those last five and a half, six years of ministry in the church where I saw that being implemented. After I left the pastorate and I was serving in the capacity where I was the leader, pastor to pastors and consultant to churches, and leader of our state fellowship, one of the happy roles I played then was I served as a bridge between churches that were looking for a pastor and pastors that were looking for a place to serve. And my custom was I would not hand out a resume of a guy that I had not met and interviewed. And I developed a list of questions I would ask men that wanted me to pass out their resume. And one of the questions that I asked was, and I told them ahead of time, be ready to explain to me what Matthew 28, 18 to 20 means. That's the Great Commission. And be able to explain to me what Ephesians 4, 11 to 16 says. That's the passage that deals with equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. And then tell me how you will accomplish both of those in the ministry. And over the years uh, that I was in that role, I probably interviewed 800 pastors. 
And what I found was consistently the pastors could explain Matthew 28, 18 to 20. They could explain Ephesians 4, 11 to 16 well. When I asked them, how will you do that? How are you going to make disciples? How are you going to equip the saints for the work of the ministry? They're usually responded by saying, by preaching, by teaching, and then they started shooting blanks. And I discovered that many of the pastors had no real strategy for making disciples that went beyond the public ministry of the Word. That's part of what burdened me to teach the kind of things that I taught at our pastor's retreat because the pastors that came to the retreat because of burnout and frustration, they need more than just being encouraged and loved on, which took place at that retreat in a wonderful way. But they need a strategy to go back to be different. That's why in that last session that I had the privilege, I'm going to teach them what I learned about how Christ dealt with those three different groups. Mm-hmm. I think that's so helpful, uh, a strategy. We talk about that in, in biblical counseling all the time, and we can we can deal with some of the fallout of problems that we have, especially in counseling. But but if we don't change the patterns that got us there, we're going to find ourselves back in those same places. Exactly. And yes. and that's exactly what you're talking about here in, in dealing with failure within the ministry. That happens, I think, to, to the best of us in, in process. And it's it's really about the things that we learn through that process. And you've redeemed some of that. And I, you've, you've you put it down, I think, that in a way that's very helpful. I want you to talk a little bit about how your view of the church changed and how your view of problems, especially problems in the church, changed after your time of fatigue and, and what you experienced in failure in, in ministry. Yeah. Well, uh, a passage that used to help during this time that was really helpful to me is 1 Corinthians eleven eighteen, where Paul says to the church at Corinth, I hear there's divisions among you, and in part I believe. And anybody that knows their Bible well knows that the church at Corinth had a heck of trouble. So when we hear, okay, there's divisions among you, we're not surprised. Okay, it was a carnal church. And then the next verse, and the word translated divisions is the Greek word schismata, from which we get our English word schism or schism. And in popular church lingo, we talk about church splits. Well, it's a division, it's schismata. But then the next verse says, verse 19 says, and this was so instructive to me, and the person who brought this to my attention was Pastor Bill Goode, Faith Baptist Church in Lafayette, Indiana at the time, and he later became the executive director of NANC, and he was one of my mentors in life. And he, I can still remember when he said, on on one phone call, he said, get your Bible, open to 1 Corinthians 11, 19, and then like an excellent biblical counselor, he had me read that. And then he said, let me tell you what that means. And verse 19 says, there must be divisions among you in order that those who are approved among you may become evident among you. And he unpacked that verse and helped me understand that there must be divisions. It's the Greek word iresis, and it refers to people holding an opinion on something so strongly that it leads to schismata. And that's what causes divisions in our church, people holding different views. Oftentimes, it's not over the deity of Christ or inspiration of Scripture. It's over tertiary-type things. He said, there has to be divisions among you in order that those who are approved may become evident. The word translated approved is the Greek word dokimos, and it means to be tested by fire, to be found pure, to be genuine, to be the real thing. Other Scriptures would teach that a goal of every Christian ought to be to be 
viewed by God as dokimos. Okay. So the scripture says there has to be divisions among you in order that those who are approved can become evident. I came to understand that issues that arise in a church in many ways are a pastor's best friend because when the issues arise, it forces people to respond. How am I going to respond to that? Am I going to come down on God's side of the issue and think and act biblically? Or am I going to follow man's wisdom, man's rationale, and justify not obeying the Bible when it's hard or it may cause people to leave or they may lose a big contributor or something? I came to understand that issues provide opportunities to reveal, they provide opportunities to reveal how people think and how they act. It demonstrates whether or not people are talking the talk of a Christian or are they talking the talk and walking the walk. That's an issue for all of us, not just for laymen. I mean, this is an issue pastors face. Are we going to talk the talk and walk the walk when it's easy? Or are we going to live out Christianity when it's, when it's hard? And that was very helpful to me. And I began teaching that to my people. I would uh, hold up like the microphone at the, the pulpit and I would point at it and say, let's pretend that this is an issue. Doesn't matter what it is. All kinds of issues come up in the church. The real issue is how are you going to respond to this issue? Are you going to come down on God's side, think and act biblically? Or are you going to come down on man's wisdom side? And I began put, talking about that repeatedly. Come down on God's side of the issue. Not just at church, but in home, in your marriage, with your employer when there's differences with your neighbor, think and act biblically. That became a driving statement that came out of this that reflects what we teach in counseling, but it, it, it moved out of the counseling room for me and became a prominent influence from the pulpit. Yeah. And I think that's a beautiful explanation of how we utilize the word to give us discernment. That's what the Bible describes as maturity, as we learn to discern between good and evil from God's perspective. And that's our goal, is to grow people who are mature. Now, one last thing, we have to do this quickly. You're sitting in front of a couple who is fatigued and feel like failures in the ministry. What are some key things that you would want to tell them to encourage them in in this season? Yeah. Well, after I left the pastorate and was in that role where I was the leader of our fellowship and that and the counselor to advisor to pastors, I had a, over the years, I had a number of men come to me who were very discouraged and ready to resign and what our world would call burnout. And a question I learned to ask each of them was this, when was the last time you had two to four hours alone where nobody could get to you? where you could read, study, think, pray, listen to music, just do something that would minister to you. Consistently, the pastors who came to me could not identify that time. I would agree to counsel them, but they had to promise me that as part of that was that in the following weeks and all the time I'm dealing with them, there had to be two two-hour segments where nobody could get to them. And I would say, you've got to feed the cistern. That's the phrase I used. I grew up in the rural area in Southeast Ohio, and we had a hand-dug well, which wasn't very deep. So we also had a cistern where we collected rainwater off the roof of the house and garage. 
And I remember growing up, I'm the oldest of four, and my mom yelling at us, don't take long showers, you'll pump the cistern dry. Well, a lot of times as ministers, we're like a cistern. We're just giving, 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 giving to people. People pulling on us, but I mean, we're, we're ministers, we give. And what I found was the people who are struggling with burnout, the number one characteristic is a cistern's been pumped dry. And a major contributing factor is they have failed to obey 1 Timothy 4.16, which says, take heed to yourself and your doctrine. Note the order. They don't pay attention to Acts 20, verse 28, which says, take heed to yourself and the flock over which God has made you overseer. Note the order. So I've seen a major contributor is the cistern, their own soul needs to be filled. I think this is great wisdom, Randy. Thanks for spending time. And, and listen, when we're talking about sobering subjects like this, it's difficult. It's really hard. And I'm so grateful, Randy. I know I can say this and you're like, in the moment when you were living it, it was not easy, but I'm grateful that the Lord allowed you to walk through that time I am too. and the things that you've learned and the way that you see scripture and, and how you can encourage and be obedient to to what Paul called us to, to comfort others with the ways in which God has comforted you. And it demonstrates that when you're walking through the difficulty, you don't, you don't see this, but there's comfort and the Lord is providing it in a way that you can proclaim it to other people. And thanks, brother. Appreciate you spending time with us today. You're listening to Truth and Love, a podcast of ACBC. I'm so grateful for Randy addressing some of these topics. In fact, he was able to address some of this at our recent pastor's retreat back in May of 2022. I'm so grateful for this, brother. But that reminds me that this month, October, is Pastor Appreciation Month. Can I encourage you to encourage your pastor this month to write him a note of gratitude, thankfulness, some of the things that the Lord has taught you through his shepherding and teaching. Encourage those who lead you in the ministry in the same way that Hebrews 13, 17 encourages us to do that, to be thankful for those who, who care for us and care for us well. And so let me encourage you to do that. I also want to mention an upcoming pastor's retreat. We are planning another for those pastors and their wives who are burned out in ministry, struggling, walking through difficulty in ministry, where we have people from ACBC who will counsel husbands and wives who will counsel pastors and their wives. And listen, this was such a special, sweet time last year. And I want to encourage you, if you know pastors and their wives who are struggling, we would love to meet with them. And so we're going to offer an application. We're targeting May of 2023 to offer another pastor's retreat. You can find that application on our website at biblicalcounseling.com.